Welcome back to Digital Health 101. There's been a lot of talk about using AI, specifically machine learning tools, to optimize resource allocation in hospitals. I think you'll understand that when you talk about improving productivity by 20 to 30% simply by using machine learning tools, that there's tremendous value in this technology. It is, however, not totally obvious how it works and how easy it is to understand. So I've asked Sanjeev Agarwal from LeanTAS to come explain it to us. I particularly enjoyed this conversation. I thought it was very insightful and I love the little stories that Sanjeev gives to illustrate his ideas and his perspective. I hope you enjoy this segment. Sanjeev Agarwal, welcome to Digital Health 101. Thanks so much, Stefano, for having me. I am pretty stoked to have you on this podcast because you've been so hyper successful. We got to know each other when I did my first DocSF conference. And uh, you were at that point still a startup. And now you've grown into this very large Series D, very well-funded company that's changing the world of how we manage hospitals across the country. So before we get to that, though, a little bit, would you tell us a little bit about your journey to this point so I work for a company called Leantas, and uh, we've been working in the healthcare space now for about six years, Stefano, as you know. Our journey has come from being solving one hard problem using machine learning for Stanford in the infusion center space to now working with over 100 health systems, about 300 hospitals, five of the top 10 uh, systems in the country included in those 100, where we're solving multiple problems using the same mathematical techniques we'll talk about around machine learning and AI resource utilization and capacity planning for operating rooms, for infusion centers, for inpatient beds, and many other assets that we plan to tackle. Ashley Sanjeev, I want to hear more about you personally. How did you get to be at Stanford where the point you were asked you to even solve that problem in the first place? Oh, that, you know, like with all entrepreneurial stories, it looks great in hindsight, and I can make things up and tell you that it was all planned and it wasn't. Because we actually, for many years before then, the company existed and we were solving multiple hard problems using math, helping retailers in China plan their inventory. We were helping Home Depot plan how many rental parts of each type should they keep in each store to maximize utilization. And there's a lot of commonality in these problems at the math level. There is no commonality in the market level. And then in 2014, it was actually Stanford Healthcare who approached us where they were having a problem in their infusion center where patients were waiting for a very long time in the middle of the day, and yet their resource, their chairs, were not being utilized as well as they could be. And so the need for greater access at lower cost uh, was pretty high, and they had seen the kind of work we had done in other spaces, and they had the foresight to say, look, if this problem can be solved in retail inventory planning, if this problem of matching demand and supply can be solved in uh, transportation, Waze does it, UPS does it, then maybe the same techniques can be applied to uh, healthcare. So we did this project with them and it was remarkably successful. We got them to be seeing 20 to 25% more patients on any given day while each patient waited a lot less between those peak hours through constraint-based optimization-driven templates that they were using, which slotted the right infusion patient in the right chair at the right time, because all these resources uh, need to come together. My personal journey with Leantas actually started around then when we decided that, hey, look, this problem, if it's an important problem for Stanford, one of the best cancer centers in the world to solve, then it's probably important for other cancer centers. 
And so our first foray into math-driven optimization of assets started with Stanford Infusion Center. Now we work with 300 infusion centers, some like Stanford, some that are community-based, some that are uh, very different from academics, but those are different micro-markets, if you will. And along the journey, one of our early customers who also ended up being an investor, uh, University of Colorado Health, said, hey, look, you do a great job on infusion, but realize that there are many other aspects of the hospital where the problem is still the same. Our surgeons are always looking for OR time and we need to unclog or unblock literally some OR time to be able to provide more access to our surgeons. So the journey has gone, like most entrepreneurial journeys go, where we find a very specific problem in a very specific market and do a really good job. And then we're allowed to build uh, the onion one layer at a time when mm-hmm. you start with the core, you know, bowling ball, if you will, to use the Jeffrey Moore metaphor and then expand slowly over time. So we, we heard a great story about the application of mathematics to solve these problems. I think it's probably based in some part on queuing theory. We can talk a little bit about that. But just real quick, so everybody's asking their back to the head, boy, they went from one infusion center to hundreds. Did each of them see a massive improvement in their access? And their, uh, was this a repeated success yeah. story? So, much at 20, 25%? So, the problems each infusion center faces are slightly different. If you are what is called chair constrained, if an infusion center has a thousand chairs and 10 patients, obviously they don't have a wait time problem. But in markets in, in major metros like Palo Alto, this is a major problem. Real estate is hard to come by. There are other problems though, for example, that we solve where wait time and access is not the issue. It is, I don't have enough nurses. Can you help me plan a schedule where I optimize the nurses I have? So then it's a cost issue. There are other problems that are, my pharmacy only starts at 7 a.m. I can only seat a certain number of, I may have 20 chairs, but I don't have 20 nurses to start exactly at seven o'clock. So what is the most optimal allocation of all my resources? Nursing, chairs, pharmacy, lab, and by the way, the oncologist who I need to Mm. see before I go get my infusion done, right? Right. So the results, uh, we have tons of case studies. So all the infusion centers we work with, primarily the interest is in the patient experience. Let me get my patients in faster and let me make sure they don't wait as long. But we don't thankfully make people sick, so we can't create volume for you. What we can say is if you've got 30 chairs, We can help you optimize the number of patients you should be seeing. And if you have more patients you could see, you can get them to come in sooner without waiting a long time. Hopefully that makes sense. That makes a ton of sense. Let's talk about the math. Now, you've written a textbook on this or a book. I want you to take us through this concept of it's just math and how to apply it. Maybe simplify it for us a little bit, what the mathematic modeling is and how it works. And then a little bit after that, we'll get into how to apply it, what data you need to make this work, et cetera. But let's just start with, hey, it's just math. What does that mean? (laughs) So you mentioned um, a phrase earlier, queuing theory, right? And queuing theory, for example, works really well in environments where at a McDonald's or at a primary care clinic where you can predict that every patient is roughly going to be a 10-minute occurrence, every uh, interaction with the doctor with a little standard deviation of two or three minutes here or there. The problem is most healthcare appointments are not so simple, right? When you go see a specialist in a clinic, you might have a newer returning patient and then you create these classes of appointments, 45 
minutes, 30 minutes, et cetera, et cetera. You could have the same neurosurgery that you do and I do on very similar patients. And yours might take three hours and 42 minutes and mine might take four hours and 26 minutes. And Einstein couldn't predict before we walked into the OR to do our surgeries that it would take that amount of time. So I want to step back and be careful about you know, taking a hammer to everything and making it look like a nail. It is all math, but it's the right type of math you need to apply if you understand the problem at a fairly detailed level. So if it's okay with you, let me start with the problem. The problem we're trying to solve, at least our company, there's so many problems to be solved. The one we're trying to solve is matching a stochastic or variable demand signal with a stochastic or variable supply. What Mm. does that mean? Let's break that down. If I'm booking tennis courts, the reason that's not a problem is if you have the three to four tennis court and I have the four to five tennis court, exactly at 4 p.m. I can walk into the tennis court and say, "Eh, you know what, I got the reservation, please, you know, let me use my court. And so the maximum possible utilization of a tennis court can be 100%. It can be chock-a-block, seven to eight, eight to nine, blah, blah, blah. Same thing with conference rooms. The problem in healthcare is a single doctor's appointment is a series of micro steps, each one of which is stochastic. A patient might run late. When they come in, they have to check in. There might be a line for them to check in. After they check in, they have to wait in the waiting room because the doctor's running late with the previous patient. When I get seated in the room in a pure clinic environment, you know, one of the lab testing equipment might not be available. I might have to wait for that. This is more like the problem that a traveler through an airport has to go through because of all these places they can get stuck, right? And you cannot use the calendar. And the problem we have is that when we use simple-minded math like EHRs do, you know, average block utilization or average wait times, that is the kind of math that goes as follows. If my head is in the freezer and my feet are in the oven, on average, my body temperature is okay, even though I'm dead, right? So what you have to do is you have to match resources with demand at a much more micro level. So the math problem we're solving is, can you use machine learning? Machine learning is really just a fancy way of saying, can you look at historical data and predict future patterns of behavior and then prescribe actions that will result in a result you want. It really isn't any more complicated than that. If you look at real world examples of how people do it, UPS has to predict on any given day what pairs of origin and destination points by zip code, let's say, 16 million packages will need to be shipped next Wednesday, right? Because they have to plan trucks, they have to plan drivers, they have to plan aircraft, they have to plan fleet, They have to plan pricing in order to keep their promise to you and I when we ship packages by UPS. Delta Airlines has 20,000 airports in this country where on any given day, any American could wake up and say, I want to fly from one of the 20,000 airports to one of the 19,999 others, right? And I want to go on Delta. And if I want to go on Delta, they've bought a fleet. They can't keep changing the number of aircraft they have or the number of pilots they have or the number of gates they have. Each aircraft has to go through engine maintenance. And there's only certain aircraft that can fly to Bangor, Maine, et cetera, et cetera. So when we think about the complexity of the problem in healthcare, we all get worked up about how hard it is. We all get worked up about it's about patient safety. But you know, every morning before COVID, 3 million Americans would get into a 200,000 pound capsule made of steel and be shot across the sky and land perfectly well on the other side. So there's another industry that worries about (laughs) safety. 
So we'll come back to why it hasn't happened in healthcare if you're interested in that. But the basic problem has been solved in so many other places. Waze is another good example. Every quarter mile segment of road, you can build fingerprints. So if you think about applying uh, machine learning, one of the core concepts is what is a fingerprint? A fingerprint is a very unique pattern of demand and supply. Let's take an inpatient bed unit, right? If you think about an inpatient bed unit, the ortho unit has a very unique cadence of how many patients come in by hour of day and how many patients are discharged. Why surgeons do rounding in the morning, the culture of the unit, EDDs, blah, blah, blah. It really doesn't matter because it's all in the data. If I look at the historical data of that ortho unit for the last five years, I can develop a very unique fingerprint defined by, if you just take two axes, how many patients are likely to leave in the next part? How many are likely to come? is saying it's going to take 26 minutes for you to go from point A to point B. How do they do it? They break every quarter mile section of the road into five minute time segments and then tell you that it's going to take you two seconds to go through this quarter mile segment, but 14 seconds to go through this one. Why? Because it's Wednesday at 10 o'clock and I have a lot of data going back to what machine learning is. It's applying historical patterns and finding meaning in those patterns to predict what is the likely outcome in the future, okay? So hopefully this makes some sense that you can apply that same technique to every asset in a hospital and apply demand supply matching algorithms to it. Very different for operating rooms versus infusion chairs versus clinics versus emergency departments, but the thinking is the same. The logic is the same. So you give us some really good examples of how this technique can be applied and real world examples that we can all relate to the fleets of aircraft, the, the travel time between point A and point B. What, and you talked about algorithms and you talked about breaking data up. I just want to take one step further back than that. Uh, and let's go back to the hospital example. I know you've done a lot of work in the operating room, for example. Tell us a little bit about what kind of data are you looking? What kind of data is going to allow you to make these kinds of predictions? Literally the data points. Uh, the data points we're looking for, some of them are in the EHR and some of them sometimes are not in the EHR. So the, EHR those are the, two the electronic health record. The electronic health record. So the major ones are Epic and Cerner and Meditech and others. What the EHR almost always has is a historical record of all surgeries performed in the past by department by what's called a block owner, which is a mm -hmm. surgeon that has rights to a certain day or a certain period of time and is guaranteed staff and equipment to do their cases then. So the data we need to solve this problem, and we can talk about how we solve this problem, is partially in the EHR, in the electronic health record, which has a history of all patient encounters, all patient timestamps, what in the surgical world are, is called wheels in to wheels out. When is it, what was a patient wheeled in? Uh, when they were cut, the cut to close aspect of a patient surgery, close to you know uh, being sewn back up and then taken out the wheels out part of it. There are historical records and then there is real-time data. So there is this protocol or this way of extracting data these days called HL7, which is a way to get real-time changes to the schedule that might be happening right, right as of now. And there are many other ways that we don't have to get into, like FHIR and other ways in which people are extracting data. The piece that's not always in the EHR is this notion of block allocation. Sometimes it's still on Excel spreadsheets and God forbid, it's a bit scary, but it's still on pieces of paper being hung <laughs> up on people's walls. And so when we hit the nail on the head as far as the importance of data, because 90% of a data science problem is the data. The science is important, but until you have the data and until you can extract meaning from it, 
right? I'll, I'll give you a simple example of where you can go terribly wrong if you have data, but you don't extract the right meaning from it. In many of our hospital situations, we find that nurses are keeping track of when someone leaves, say, an outpatient uh, medical center or a clinic or an infusion center. God bless them. They're in the business of patient care. And so we find that the timestamp says that eight patients left exactly at five o'clock, at 5 p.m. And you look at that and you go, no, eight patients didn't leave at 5 p.m. Uh, Nurse Joe or Nurse Betty only found time at the end of the day to check them out because they were busy taking care of patients. So no one's really at fault. But until that, you can say this data is not accurate, I can't use this for my predictions. But what I can use is an accurate check-in timestamp, an expected length of treatment, plus say 15 minutes as a heuristic to make the data make sense. We find other issues we get in the data. I'll just give you two, three very simple examples, which are really meaningful. We find a surgery took 48 hours, or actually 51 hours. And all that happened was it was a human error where the wrong date was picked in the wheels out time by two days, because no surgery should ever take 51 hours. But you can imagine a surgery taking three hours, and you go back and you check that and you use simple anomaly detection type techniques, which are finding the outlier and correcting them, we found costs of a surgery being a million dollars in tissue. And then you realize it was a 12 by 12 square piece of tissue and only one tiny square that was one inch by one inch was used. So it was one 144th of the entire tissue, but the unit was wrong. Right. So the data is so incredibly important to both understand And you don't always need big data. There's a lot of sexiness about let's throw all the big data into a cauldron and magic will happen. Sometimes- I thought that was the, oh, never mind. That's annoying. (laughs) I thought it was true. Go on. It's small data can make huge differences like check-in and check-out timestamps in infusion centers. It's a tiny part and it can make a world of difference if you use the data right. So the data itself that you need is incredibly important. It's accurate. However, you also introduced the concept that there's also math that you can use to identify those outcomes that are outside two standard deviations from the norm that need to be looked at again and maybe pulled out of the equation until they can be certified. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And uh, there are all kinds of examples we can get into. And once you have clean data, then you can apply your algorithm, whether it's constraint-based optimization whether it's bin packing. Bin packing is one of my favorite examples that we can get into, if that makes sense. You can get into things like prediction of the traveling salesman route, right? So much like UPS every morning hands a manifesto to each of its drivers. Those poor guys, if they had to calculate their route every day to deliver their 50 packages, it's insane. It's a very hard problem. So network theory has been solved by how internet routers work, how UPS and FedEx drivers are given their marching orders every morning. In many ways, the ways we solve the problem is very similar to that. In the last 20 minutes, we've actually had a really, really fascinating tour about how to solve very, very complex problems in healthcare. You pointed out that these these problems may seem unique to healthcare and the questions to be asked specifically might be unique, but the way to ask them is not unique. And in fact, the techniques for asking extremely complex questions many of which carry massive risk, like flying somebody across the country, can be applied to healthcare, are known, and it's math at the end. And the question is, which mathematical model to apply to which problem? Once you've solved that question mark, 
the outcome can be remarkably effective with the caveat, as you pointed out, that the data upon which these predictions are built has to be accurate. And if not accurate, at the very least, you have to have some methodology with which to identify the potential outlier values that will not throw off your calculations. And using that mindset and that approach, you and your company have shown that you can really impact capacity planning, which is another way of saying resource utilization. And one of the challenges that healthcare has this day, especially with the brick and mortar space, is that with the costs that those are associated with, you've really got to make sure that you, you maximally utilize them for two reasons. One is revenue, but the other, of course, is to provide access to patients in an environment which access is often constrained or difficult. Did I get that right? Absolutely. And to give you a scale of the problem, you hit the nail on the head. If you think about 6,000 hospitals who've spent three to $400 million each on these physical assets, this is a $2 trillion fixed asset problem, which is much bigger than all the airlines put together, which is much bigger than all the UPS and FedEx and other fleets put together. So even just the depreciation on $2 trillion worth of assets could drown most companies. And there is this concept in finance that I know you're well aware of called asset turns. If I put a million dollars of assets in the ground, do I get $2 million in revenue or do I get less than a million? And healthcare is one of the worst performing industries as far as asset turns are concerned. And that's a huge problem at a time when two things are happening. The need for healthcare is going up radically because kids under the age of 10 and people above the age of 65 with chronic conditions are the fastest rising parts of our demographic. And meanwhile, the reimbursements per unit are coming down with capitated payments and Medicare. So you've got a perfect storm of why you need to care about your asset now. And another analogous industry is banks. There used to be 17,000 banks in this country in uh, 1985, and there are now 6,000 banks because online banking is, I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just telling you that efficiency in industries that are not efficient, the first mover that starts to get efficient starts to gobble people up. And at Mm -hmm. some point, you either lose your independence or you go out of business, as the banks have experienced, because Schwab came in and said, I'll do everything online. Um, it won't happen that easily in healthcare because it's a hyper-local and a physical business. But many of the telemedicine is just one. Many of these uh, big drivers of moving care to the home are going to leave hospitals as being just the place where complex, complex things are done. And then how are you going to make money and survive if you're not efficient is, is on top of everybody's mind because of that? I think you kind of answered my next, my next and last question is, where do you see us being 2031 when it comes to this sort of application of machine learning mathematics to healthcare? So uh, I think this is also best answered through an analogy where if you look at Atlanta Airport in 1985 versus Atlanta Airport today when it comes back into full gear, more than 5x the number of travelers can be handled by an airport that hasn't grown 5x. It's hardly grown one and a half is. There aren't five times the number of gates. There aren't five times the number of tugs and toes and airplanes. There aren't five times as the number of checking counters. So what has changed for the throughput to be five times higher? What's changed is the entire airport has been optimized at every step of the traveler's journey. In 1985, if I went through Atlanta airport, I had to wait five minutes to check myself in because a physical human being would hand me a boarding pass. Then I'd have to wait for five minutes at a check-in counter for my bag to be checked in. Then I'd have to go wait in line at a security gate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In graph theory, this would be nodes and edges. And in Atlanta airport or any airport, they've done a phenomenal job matching supply and demand, which has a very different pattern. 
because everybody needs to go check in their uh, their uh, check in and get a boarding pass, but not everybody's checking bags. Everybody has to go through the security line, but each gate has different amounts of capacity. So in 2031, my expectation is there will be macro structural changes. A lot more care will be outside of physical places like hospitals, but that's more a macro trend. In the micro, the path hospitals will have to be able to accommodate more throughput and serve many more patients by moving everyone along by unlocking capacity at each node. So at least operationally, you will all be a lot more efficient. We'll be serving a lot more patients, providing a lot more service at much lower unit cost because the fixed cost is going to be spread across many more patient encounters. Hope that makes some sense. It makes a ton of sense. And I actually really like this idea of unlocking capacity. Latent capacity, unused capacity, unrealized capacity is a great way in my mind to sort of encapsulate the power of these mathematical tools to do predictive analytics and identify the opportunities. So I just want to say thank you. That was a terrific, almost a lecture. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. I learned a ton. I loved all those examples that you gave that just make it so tangible and so real for me and I'm sure everybody listening as to why we should be paying attention to these technologies, why we should be using them and uh, looking for ways to apply them even in the, in, in the small environment or a big environment. Because this is, like you said, you've applied this to entire hospital systems, to bed capacity, but as well as infusion centers with maybe 10 or 15 beds. There's no, there's no limit to, if you have an issue of resource optimization and allocation, this does not have to be a $20 million project. It can be much more affordable. And the return on investment, the straight up financial is, is always positive, right? It's, you've never come across a situation. Where, I have one last question. I see, by the way, you're nodding your head to the audience. Yes, you're saying, yes, we haven't found a place. We haven't been able to optimize. The question for you that came to mind towards the end is, is more about this issue of accessibility to this technology. Is it, is it something that requires a particularly deft IT department to, to make happen? I do a lot of digital health innovation, and sometimes the tech part, the simply getting the APIs to work is just challenging for resource yeah. allocation, et cetera. So the good news is that almost every hospital system now has some version of an EHR, which has electronic data of most of what we need. So all we need to do is find a way to get it out. Now with protocols like FHIR, protocols like HL7, and even old world protocols like SFTP-based daily extracts, where you find the right tables in the EHR, you just need to be able to do that. In fact, we've gotten so good at the major EHRs that we can actually give the IT teams the SQL script, if you will, to run on top of, say, a Clarity database or any other database, so they don't have to do any work other than run our script. It's not hard at all, especially because it's a cloud-based software. It's, you don't need a server behind the firewall. You don't need any of the stuff that uh, client-server implementations used to need. Awesome. Sanjeev Agarwal from LeanTask. By the way, LeanTask, I know what it means, but you tell me what it means. Because it's a weird name. No, it is. Uh, and, and, you know, we needed marketing help back then. We, we do now too, but we're getting better at it. Lean transformation as a service, which in hindsight is not such a bad thing because so many hospitals spend so much money on lean transformations, which are done on the backs of Excel spreadsheets. And this goes to the head in the freezer, feet in the oven type math, which makes zero sense. You know, average turns per chair, average block utilization, average mm -hmm. wait time is just meaningless metrics. So providing the same level of benefit that Lean promises in a more deterministic environment like a Toyota factory, 
requires doing some of this magic math in the background. So lean plus math equals lean transformation as a service has actually panned out in hindsight to be exactly the right concept. I wish we knew this walking in. When we <laughs> <came> to <company. laughs> it's part of the journey. You only find that way you hear it till towards the end, right? <laughs> well, phenomenal. Hey, thanks so much. I thoroughly enjoyed that and uh, look forward to seeing your ongoing success and uh, how you're going to transform or help us transform healthcare in the United States and beyond. By the way, are you available internationally or is it just the US based for now? The US is such a big opportunity for us. We haven't decided to go international yet. Every country has a different uh, healthcare system and the payers are different, the providers are different. And, you know, all water looks drinkable from 30,000 feet until you actually go and try and drink it. The thing is, you know, when I'm flying over the Atlantic, I feel like, yeah, I could swim those waters. I could drink from it. And then you get close to it. No, 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 no. There are sharks. No, 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 no. no. There's sharks in there. (laughs) And that water's a little salty. Yeah. So, so far we've stayed away from it, but it's, um, you know, there are many countries that suffer from the problems we do and some countries that will pay, uh, where providers will actually pay to solve it too. So hopefully one day we'll uh, be on our path to being global, but as of now, we're focused on the US. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much. Thanks a lot for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed our podcast, exploring the building blocks of digital health. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We hope to see you soon on the next episode of Digital Health 101 on Digital Health Today. So actually, Sanjay, tell me more about your book. Yeah, so the book is called Better Healthcare Through Math. And basically, it's actually completely non-mathematical because it's meant for people who hopefully don't think that they need to have a PhD in math to, to understand the simple concepts behind what, what we do and what the world needs, we think. So the book uh, describes the basic problem with demand supply matching that we went into and goes asset by asset and looks at a hospital like an airport, breaks it down into the major assets talks about the different demand supply dynamics of each asset, which is why you can't just, you know, sprinkle pixie dust with the same algorithm. The reason why you have different algorithms is that the demand supply pattern is very different across each asset. As you know, in the OR, it's block time versus in an outpatient setting, it's not blocked, for example, in infusion. So we'd in fact love for more people to read it. I, I wish more MHA programs pushed this concept of math. I wish more medical schools taught more about IT and math. And we'd be more than happy to, in fact, provide a copy of the book to any of your listeners were they to be interested. They can just email uh, us. And uh, there's actually, we've set up an alias that we get uh, regular requests for the book. It's just the letters B, better, H, health, CTM. So B, H, C, T, M, five letters at leantask.com. And they can uh, write to us there and say, hey, I'd love a copy of the book. Just send us your email. We'll send you a a Kindle version, or if you want a physical version, send us the address to send it to. So thanks for asking that question. We're very excited and we're obsessed about solving this problem. So Mm -hmm. writing the book is another part of the journey.